Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller. On Monday of this week, the nation paused to celebrate the life of civil rights leader Martin Luther King, Jr. King fought for equality and the right to vote. He lived, marched, and protested nonviolently. He was gunned down in Memphis in 1968. Martin Luther King, Jr. was the best known of those who fought for civil rights. As one of a number of events in honor of Martin Luther King at Emory & Henry this week, students and staff heard from another civil rights leader, National Treasurer Dr. Jabril Kazan. Dr. Kazan was born in 1940 as Ezel Alexander Blair and is celebrated for his role as one of the Greensboro Four. Kazan had heard Martin Luther King speak and reported having tears in his eyes from the inspiration. He vowed to join in resisting racism and segregation nonviolently. Kazan and three of his college freshman friends at ANT University in Greensboro decided to sit at the lunch counter on February the 1st, 1960 at a city Woolworths and order lunch. They sparked a movement. With gratitude to Dr. John Holloway's office, we are sharing part of the recording of 80-year-old Dr. Kazan's presentation. You will hear Dr. Kazan's description of the sit-ins and his fascinating effort to get approval from his parents to go forward with the plan. Our recording begins with Emory & Henry freshman Brandon Carter's introduction of Dr. Kazan, followed by Dr. Holloway's first question at the Monday night Zoom event. We hope you enjoy this special presentation. Good evening, students, staff, faculty, and community of Emory and Henry College. My name is Brandon Carter, and I'm a freshman here at Emory, just like how Mr. Holloway said. I want to take a moment to thank Mr. Holloway for helping me put together the slicing tonight. Before I introduce our speaker tonight, I just want to give you guys a little, a little information about him. This man and his friends took part in something that, that made an immediate and lasting impact, forcing other establishments to change their segregation policies for African-Americans. So on February 1st, 1960, four African-American freshman college students at the University of North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University located in Greensboro, North Carolina, took part in a stand against segregation for African-Americans. Those individuals were later known as Joseph McNeil, Franklin McCain, Giselle Blair Jr., and David Richmond. These four men were known as the ANT Four. They were inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his practice of nonviolent protests, and specifically wanted to change the segregational policies of F.W. Woolworth Company in Greensboro, North Carolina. They came up with a simple plan. They would occupy seats at the local F.W. Woolworth Company store, ask to be served, and when they were denied service, they would not leave. They would repeat this process every day for as long as it would take. Their goal was to attract widespread media attention to the issue, forcing Woolworth to implement desegregation. When they came back the next day, more than 20 black students recruited from other campus groups joined in the sit-ins. They kept bringing in more students, including white students to join in the sit-ins. And this movement spread to other Southern cities. Until July 25th, 1960, after nearly $200,000 in losses and a reduction in salary for not meeting sale goals, store manager Clarence Harris asked four black employees to change out of the work clothes and order a meal at the counter. At this time, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce Dr. Jabril Kazan, formerly known as Ezel Blair Jr., who took part in the sit-ins as he is one of the two surviving members of the ANT4. But thank you, 
but remembering us. So anything I can do to help you all understand what we were trying to do to uplift our people in America. And also by doing so, try to live out the so-called principles in the constitution and bill of rights. That's what we were trying to do. We didn't write it, right. but what good is to have laws written and you can't apply them. So let, let me ask you first question then. Do you or any of the four have any clue of the impact that you would have? No, we didn't think it would spread like it did. We, we thought we, we would sit in at the Woolworth and other stores in Greensboro that denied people of color equal rights at their counters. But we were hoping it would spread, but never did in our greatest imagination could we have thought of a, a political, social, economic movement that would affect the lives of 41 million people. Mm. And that's what the sit-in did. And um, I just call it a miracle from G-O-D, God. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we happen to be blessed to be the ones to do it. But we also, as individuals and families, we had to also pay for our venture to try to uh, create a more perfect union of our peoples in America. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's all about. It's a never ending uh, a crusade to keep people safe under the laws of the land we live in. And as we can see right now, there seems to be a mindset of people in the country to go back to segregation days. We still have it. Uh, as we saw last year, people invading the capital of the United States. Mm. Right. Now that I've never seen in my 80 years in this country. Mm. And as a student of political science, I said, whoa, we got to do something about this. Mm -hmm. A man is killed, a Caucasian man is killed, who went to work one day to leave his family home to earn money to take care of his family. He doesn't come back home because someone caused his death. Right. And yeah. no one has gone to court and paid for that debt of taking that man's life. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's a tragedy, but this is why we must always be uh, vigilant to maintain the law that's balanced so that everyone can have the right to live comfortably in this society. Absolutely. So, so let me ask, was it always, was it always a four? And how did the four come about? Yeah, we were all freshman students at North Carolina NT State University. And we lived in Scott Hall on the second floor. So we, we were like 10 seconds of being with each four of us. That's how close we were in the dormitory. And we took classes together. <clears throat> how long did this incubate before you, you took this to action? Well, we started the fall of 1959 to sit and know each other, we were making friends. We took classes together, like engineering, chemistry, and what have you. And then in the evening, we spent our time talking about the issues that faced freshmen and college students. And so um, we talked about issues 
that a lot of freshmen would not talk about on campus. And that was, what can we do to attack and remove the, uh, the curse of racism on our campus and in our city? And we talked about this every evening. What can we do? So finally on the night of um, Sunday, January 31st, 1960, we met in my dormitory room with Joseph, Franklin, and David, and myself. And so I was trying to do my work because I wasn't doing very well in architecture engineering. So David, Joseph, and Frank came into the room and said, he said, uh, we got to do something tomorrow. I didn't look up because I know they were looking at me. I was doing my books. Like I didn't, I, list, I wasn't listening to them. And so they looked at Frank McCain and said, hey, Big Daddy Kane, are you ready to go down tomorrow? I ignored it totally. Frank said, no, man. He said, I'm ready. And they looked at uh, David Richmond and said, uh, uh, David Richmond, they said, uh, David, are you ready to go down? He said, yeah, I'm ready to go down. And they looked at Joseph McNeil and said, Jojo, are you ready to go down tomorrow? Jojo said, yeah, man, I'm ready. And then they surrounded me like I was cadaver, right? Easy. Are you ready to go down tomorrow? Yeah, you ready to go? Are you ready to go? I said, listen, man, my grades are going down. And my mother and father told me on that one semester, if I don't pull it up, I'm out of school. Are you chicken? No, I'm not chicken. So tomorrow we're going down and do something in Warwick. Okay. So when they said that, I said, I got to call my mother. Hey, mom. Yes, honey, what's going on? Can I come out and talk to you and dad about a plan that David, Frank, and Joe and I are thinking about? Yeah, I think you better come on real quick. So we got a lift to my parents' house. I walked in the house to get in, mom, and everybody said, get in, Mr. and Mrs. Blair. Oh, good. I said, mom, we plan to do something. Shake up Greensboro, mom. Shake up Greensboro. Have you shook up your, your grades? Uh, <laughs> you better shake yourself up because you only got one more semester. So I told them the plan. We plan to have to sit in at Wilbur's restaurant uh, tomorrow, which is um, Monday, February 1st. Yep. And that we needed to get uh, your opinion, and in my case, your approval before I do this. She said, Okay, my father didn't have too much to say. She did all the talking. She said, what are you planning to do? We plan to have a city at Woolworths request equal services at the lunch counter. And uh, who's going to protect you? Well, we're just going to do it on our own. You're going to do it on your own. Do you realize you can get people hurt who are not with you? Do you realize Caucasian people can attack you for serving the peace? The police can come and beat you up and throw you in jail if they don't shoot you. So you better take this over again. And we did. And she said, okay, what are you going to do? Well, we want to have a nonviolent demonstration there at Woolworths. And she said, where did you get arrested? Well, we're going to stay there. You're going to stay there? You can't even live inside of a closet. you got claustrophobia. How are you going to go to jail? Don't call me. Don't call your father. Because you guys are men, young men now. You better think twice before you do something like that. You get yourself hurt and other innocent people walking the street. Mm. I said, oh, like he said, mm. So I said, okay. I talked with the guys. I said, we still want to do it. And then 
Joseph, Frank, and David with, with my father because we're getting ready to leave the house. So my mother said, I want to talk to you. Yes, mother. She said, when you go down tomorrow, I want you to dress like Santa Claus with you. Come on, Ma. Come on, Ma. I worked eight years at night at a bakery for you to get a chance to go to college. Now, I want you to do what I tell you to do. Tomorrow, you go down, you're going to dress up like you're going to church. You're going to see Jesus. Mm. Uh, you're going to see Jesus anyway if they put you in jail. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Now, she said, I want you to wear that brand new hat I brought you. A jacket I bought you with the Aggie Buffalo uh, uh, Bulldog on the front of it. Those pants I bought you in those desert boots. I want you to wear a necktie. But that's like, yeah, like going to church, you know. Mm -hmm. Have you been there lately since you've been on campus? Have you forgot Jesus? Uh, I know. But you better get with it because you're going to need Jesus when you come at lunch counter. All right. Hopefully they don't hang you. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah, you better think about it. So I thought about it. I said, okay, mother, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to dress the clothes you want me to dress. And she said, well, I'm proud of you. I'll say a prayer for you. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll see you, son. Thank you, mom. I love you. I love you, too. Did you live in fear? Yeah. You know why? Because at night, A&T had no guards to protect us. So Caucasian guys would come on the campus in their trucks and their cars, catch me, shake me up, and throw me in the ditch if they don't put their foot on me in there. That happened to several students who the Caucasian guys thought was me, a Joe or Frank or David. They just saw somebody my side, threw one guy in the ditch and beat him up. Another guy, they hit him in the chest with a brick because they thought that he was Ezra Blair Jr. So that's the that's what I feel for those students who got killed, who got hurt, people got shot, beat up. I can relate to them. And even though it's not me, I can feel it here in my soul. And I don't like to see young people hurt. In my own city, uh, we've had people in New Bedford, young people who've been killed over the last four or five, six years. They were like 16, 17, 18. Some were killed by policemen. The kid was walking in, in, the, in my housing development uh, about four or five years, and the police came after him, and, you know, and they, they shot him. And the kid was only about 15, 16 years old because they were connecting that the reason why he was in the playground at night was that he was selling drugs. It's not true. But mm -hmm. so we still have to deal with that, uh, that terror that exists in the inner cities where our people live. And riding, riding on the highways at night. Dr. Kazan, when did ANT embrace your activism? Did, were, they, were they supportive with what and your friends did at F.W. Woolworth? Well, that first day when we left Woolworth, our town, we went back on campus. Some students had seen us and they were spreading the word that four guys, freshmen, said at a Woolworth restaurant and asked for service today. They didn't receive service. So when we turned on campus, uh, there were, we were trying to recruit students to go and uh, some joined us saying, well, we'll join you. And the word spread among the seniors because the seniors had to wait on campus. What four freshmen trying to do undermine us. So they came into the meeting that night. We formed a student executive committee for justice of the students from A&T. 
And of course, the word got around to the chancellor, Dr. Warren T. Gibbs. He was one of the pioneers of ROTC at Harvard back in 1920. And there was a lawyer who worked for the textile industry in Greensboro. He called up uh, 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 president uh, and asked him, why can't you do something to get those students men to stop demonstrating downtown? When Dr. Gibbs said, we teach our students what, how to think, not what to think. And uh, he told us, he said, now boys, or he said, young men and young women, we'll support you as long as you be nonviolent. And that shocked the whole city because they knew this guy was going to be Uncle Tom. He didn't bend. You know why? He was retiring that year. He had nothing to worry about. So he became a strong man. And he said, as long as you're nonviolent, go to class. We have nothing to do with what you do in your free activity. And that was courage for us. In less than seven days, guess who came to our campus? Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson yeah. came to our campus on Friday or Saturday, February the 6th, 1960. And we were amazed that Jackie Robinson took his time to come all the way to Greensboro. He said, I have to talk with you. He said, I know what you're going through. He said, but keep the faith. Keep the faith of our ancestors. Uh, living still. We shall be true to thee till death. That was Jackie Robinson's speech. You can imagine how 200 students reacted when they heard Jackie Robinson talking. I love Jackie Robinson and all the other athletes, whether it be men or women, who take upon themselves to go for the, and we said, we must do something to free our people. We must do something. They said, what about white people? You can join us too. All you gotta be is nonviolent. They'll think what happened to them like those young people killed in Mississippi. And that's what we were hoping, that we could get legislation passed by the various cities of Congress that would allow people to attend these places of public accommodation. Not only that, going to school. So our generation, thank God for it, our mothers and fathers tried to carry through their dreams, which they didn't get a chance to have. Wow. So that told me something. Out of out of all the places in Greensboro, Dr. Kazan, why specifically Woolworths? Like yes, Woolworths was part of a chain of restaurants throughout the country, as well as some of the commercial stores. When I was uh, five or six years old, my mother went downtown in Surrey in the summertime. She wanted to try on the clothes in one of the stores for women, but they wouldn't let the color women try clothes on. And so I looked at my mother. She had tears in her eyes. And I said then, when I grow up a big boy, I'm gonna help remove those things so my mother and other women can be treated equal to other people. And she would take me to Cresses, I was about five, six years old. We could get a drink of water, there was a color fountain. And you could drink out the fountain, the white fountain. I thought they had lemonade in there, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, I said to myself, in the summer of 19, uh, I was eight years, I remember I was eight years old. In that summer in Greensboro, North Carolina, I was going to a movie and I passed by my friend's house, Jacqueline Helen Knight, who was in the first grade, second grade. And I told him uh, one day I was going to go downtown and I'm going to drink water out of the white fountain. I'm going to sit at the restaurant. I said, because I don't like what they did to my mother. 
And they said, Ezel, somebody's going to kill you, boy. I said, I don't care. But we have to struggle. Struggle, struggle. Nothing's given to you without a struggle. That's, right. That's what I learned. And of course, my mother said, did you struggle with those grades? Huh? <laughs> and in the summer, at the end of my freshman year, my father said, it's time to go to work. Wake me up at 6 o'clock. Load the truck up because he was a carpenter and a home builder, as well as a teacher. And he didn't spare anyone in our family, the males. He didn't care who you were. If you were living in a house, you had to work. You had to do something in the summertime. <laughs> I follow your psychology. Uh, Dr. Gazan, um, so I, I asked um, what you and your friends did at Woolworth. Did it like help shape you in the person that you are today? Here. Yes, that changed our lives. Everybody was involved in it. Uh, it made us get more serious about life, uh, to get more serious about our studies. We knew that we are a generation that was challenged to change the way American life was for all people, to make it more positive. And each generation will have to do that. We can't rely on what my parents did 70 years ago. So this is a challenge facing every generation. We must not be afraid to tell our children the truth, the challenge that they face. Dr. I got, I got two last questions for you really quick. Was your faith a strong motivator in gaining courage to speak out? That's yes, my faith helped me out to deal with the challenges of growing up and living in society like we have. Um, I say this to everyone. When you're born as a human being, as a baby, your religion is always always with you. From your third eye between your eyes, you meditate on, and with your nose you breathe. That's the key to our survival. Learn meditation, learn your own religion, whatever it may be, or no religion at all, but make sure you know how to meditate between your and learn your breathing. That is your gift by the God of the created universe. Last question. You ready? Yes, sir. How do you how do you think MLK affected the U.S. and how do you think Malcolm X affected the U.S.? Both of them were my heroes. Mm. Um, in this dual society, I'm not judging either one of them because I was not in their seat, uh -huh. but I can relate to what happened to Malcolm X, what happened to his father, and other members of his family. He has seen death. He's seen orphanage, and he survived it. And I want to thank the teachers of Army like Muhammad for showing us how to clean up our, our, our shortcomings. And that's what happened to him. Unfortunately to him, um, he decided in his later life he would make certain decisions which caused his death. And he knew that by making certain decisions, that would happen to him. It was not he didn't walk into something, somebody's going to kill him for something. He was told by the federal agents, told by the people, told by Elijah Muhammad, please don't do this because this is going to happen to you. And that's why you have organizations and rules and regulations to go by. But Malcolm, bless his soul, he made it, he made a check, he made a chance. And the other person was Martin Luther King, Reverend Martin Luther King, right? Yep. He also made a choice. And his choice was he was going to be the person he was. He understood what Malcolm was going through. And Malcolm understood what Martin Luther King was going through. Uh, 
And it's unfortunate that they both were assassinated. But Dr. King said, I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but we as the people are going to get to that promised land. Just remember that. Regards who you are, who you're born to, if you follow the guide, simple guide, learning how to meditate on your thoughts, words, and deeds, and uh, dealing with their reality, we shall overcome. Whatever world you want to be a part of, whatever vocation you want, whatever religion you want, it's all up to you. Don't let anybody change the religion that was given to you at your birth. That's my message to all of you. You know, mm -hmm. loving kindness. That's what we need. Loving kindness, respect for each other. Zan, I, I just, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Uh, this has been priceless. Yes. I will always remember uh, uh, this evening and this conversation yes. that yes, that, uh, that we had. I hope that uh, everyone who joined us was able to um, to just enjoy uh, listening to you. And so thank you so very much. Let's say a prayer for me. I say a little prayer for me. <laughs> because my mother said, if you do not, treat your wife and your family good, then you lost everything. Folks, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. And thank Dr. you again, Dr. Kazan. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Yes, thank you, America. Dr. Kazan. Thank you, too. God bless America, our home sweet home. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> You've been listening to a special episode of This Conversation this week. You've heard an edited presentation of an Emory & Henry event in honor of Martin Luther King Day that happened this Monday night, featuring civil rights leader and national treasurer, Dr. Jaleel Kazan. Kazan will forever be known as one of the Greensboro Four who staged a sit-in at a lunch counter in Greensboro and sparked a movement of sit-ins. We hope you've enjoyed this program. We thank you for listening. You can hear this conversation Wednesdays at 6 and Sundays at 2 here on 90.7.